Heavenly Father, once more we come before the Almighty God. Heavenly thank thee as we come into thy presence. Thou art God who loves to hear and answer prayer. Pray, dear Lord, as we met here. Yes, maybe very few in number. Oh Lord, how do you pray? Thou be amongst us. Oh, may true thy Holy Spirit help us as we seek to look into thy word to understand what thy word says. And we know assurance that with thee or in the majority. So we pray to help us in this evening. Yes, to read thy word, to read thy word of understanding. May leave here the Lord blessed from the reading, from the studying, from the preaching of the word of God. We pray the Lord as we think on these things. Yes, perhaps very dark things. Things that can cause thy, thy people or to become depressed and wonder where the world is going. But how we do pray the Lord, as the Apostle said, we may stand fast, think upon these things and be encouraged, comfort ourselves and to fear not and to go forward, trust in thee, looking to thee. When that great day comes, when our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ will come in power and in glory, we'll be those that are ready, all ready to hear him, ready to receive him, and he may receive us into our presence forevermore. So hear our prayers, forgive our sins, we do pray, as we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're looking this year in our studies, as we said, and what we're looking at is, where are we in the Lord's calendar? Where are we heading as we look at the scriptures and see the end time approaching ever nearer and ever nearer? Where are we in the calendar of the Lord? And we've discussed, as we've gone through this year, many subjects and looked at a few things. This month we're looking at, as we've said, a subject, when will the Antichrist arise? A subject that has caused perhaps much debate and much discussion all down through the years. And perhaps even caused much dissension amongst the people of God. Yes, it's caused perhaps dissension amongst God's people. But as we look at this scripture here, as we look at this question here, perhaps a simple answer is, and I could say this and perhaps sit down and you'll know the answer, but when will the Antichrist arise? He will arise at the end of the age. But when will the end of the age be? We thought back in March, when we first came back here to meet together, um, after that two year gap during Covid, about the times of the Gentiles. That period of time, when the Gentiles have the rule as it were, have the preeminence. A period of time that will culminate with the emergence of a man. An emergence of this man. A man who sets himself up. A man who sets himself up to be above all that is God and puts himself in the place of Almighty God, the Antichrist, will arise. You'll remember these times are spoken of in Daniel chapter 2 and in other chapters of Daniel. And if we turn there, this is a time the children of Judah were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Perhaps the time of the start of the times of the Gentiles. The children of Israel. They had been taken into captivity sometime earlier by Sennacherib and the Assyrians. But you will recall, it's not my intention to go into much detail, that Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel chapter 2, he had that vision, that vision, that dream of a great image. A great image with a head of gold, with breast and arms of silver, of belly and of thighs of brass, of legs of iron, and feet part iron and part clay. And in that chapter we have Daniel, he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and he tells the king that thou, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You are the one, the head of gold. And as we look down that image there, as it went down, so other kingdoms arose, less superior, less mighty than the kingdom of Babylon. And 
and they are signified by the diminishing nature of the metals, the silver, the brass, the iron, and the iron mixed with clay. But each of these empires speak for us the kingdoms of this world that will have the preeminence in, as it were, the times of the Gentiles. In Revelation chapter 15, chapter 11 rather, and in verse 15, we read really of the culmination of this period. The culmination of the period of the times of the Gentiles. You'll read there in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. It says there, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. The kingdom of this world. Those kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw way back before Jesus came the first time. The Babylonian Empire, the Grecian the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire. Those kingdoms become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And you will remember that at the end of the vision that Nebuchadnezzar has, he saw that, he saw that stone that was cut out of a mountain without hands, that smoke image, and the stone grew and grew and grew and covered the whole earth. Daniel tells us what his stone is and what it represents. We'll turn to Daniel chapter 2 and just see what Daniel says there at the end of that portion there. Daniel chapter 2 and the verse 44. You'll see there, he says there, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all his kingdoms, and it shall stand forever and forever. For the end of the chapter tells us that the kingdom will be set up by God, the kingdom of heaven, and it will stand forever and forever. And so we see the Lord. That appearing of the Antichrist will come. And it will come just prior to the appearing of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we shall see there shall be a period when he will be a great influence over the world. Oh, we're reading from the scripture, we're touching a little bit tonight. He will have great influence over the whole world. There will be from his appearing until the coming of the Son of Man. Until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power and great glory. As we read through scripture, we see he's referred to by various names and various titles. In Daniel chapter 7 and 8, and we'll touch on Daniel 7 and 8, but we'll see there he's referred to as the little horn. But the little horn that we read, it waxed great. It grew and became exceeding, exceeding great. So we see there, that little horn, yes, may start very little, but it will grow and grow and be exceeding great. A horn in scripture signifies to us governmental power. And we see here so there's great governmental power in that short reign. As we read through these chapters in Daniel, we see it originates from the ten divisions. Those ten kingdoms. Daniel had other dreams, or Daniel had dreams. Nebuchadnezzar the first dream, Daniel 2. But Daniel had dreams too. And he had a dream in Daniel 7. And in Daniel chapter 7 there, he saw those beasts that arose out of the sea there. Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. He says there, and this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and had great iron teeth. It reminds us of that great empire, the Roman Empire, iron and the legs of the, of the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue of the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And that's the lion and the bear 
and the leopard that came before it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I consider these horns, and behold, there came among them another little horn, before whom there were three horns of the first horns plucked up at the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. How we see there, that terrible beast, ten <coughs> horns, but a little horn arises, plucks up three of the horns by the roots, but out of the eyes of a man, and it spake forth great things. And then Daniel chapter 8, the next chapter in Daniel 8, we see arises as it comes from the Grecian Empire. You'll see there in verse 21 of Daniel chapter 8, it says there, and the rough goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn in between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas forced up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, and the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding dark sentences, shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. We'll touch on that later. Not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, shall prosper and practice, and destroy mighty and holy people. And we read on there through there. So we see there, as we think about that, that little horn that we read about there, it tells us in verses 8 to 12 of that chapter. We won't read them. Verses 8 to 12 of chapter 8 there. That little horn, it comes up in the four horns that replace the great horn. We know that great horn, it represented Alexander the Great of Greece. And the four little horns were his four generals that took over after he let the kingdom go. So it will grow up. So we see there in Daniel, he's referred to as a little horn. If we turn to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 28, we see in Ezekiel chapter 28, he's described as the Prince of Tyre. And as you close that chapter, you'll see in verse 19, the judgment that goes upon him is as a judgment upon the Antichrist. Ezekiel chapter 28 and the verse 19. All they shall know among thee shall be astonished at thee. No. I think I've got the wrong verse. But there it says, All they that know thee among people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror. And never shall there be any more. So with that judgment there comes. He will never be any more. If we turn to Isaiah, look at Isaiah chapter 8. You see in Isaiah chapter 8 there, he's in verse and in the chapter 10 too, he's referred to as the Assyrian. As the Assyrian. And in Isaiah 14, verses 4 to 7, chapter 14 rather, verses 4 to 7, we see there he's called the king of Babylon. And also wicked. Certainly read about that Thessalonians chapter we read there. He's called wicked. So in Isaiah 14, 4 to 7, thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hidden. So we see there, he's called the king of Babylon and the wicked. As you read down that chapter, you'll come to verses 13 and 14. And you'll see there, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which is weak in the nations? For thou hast set in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the size of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. How we see there, that is the mindset of Antichrist. I will ascend into the mount of congregation in the size of the mountain. I will try and be above everything. And yet it says in verse 15, Yet now shall be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Oh, how it's of Lucifer. And how he sort of set himself above God. Something very similar to what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Return to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 later on. But it says there that he sets himself up <coughs> to be higher. In Daniel chapter 8, a chapter we looked at in verse 23. You see in there, he's a king of fierce countenance. Daniel chapter 8 and the verse 23. Now in that's a time of their kingdom. When the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding dark senses, shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, and he said there, but not with his own power, and he will destroy wonderfully, shall prosper and practice, and destroy the mighty and the holy people. A king of fierce countenance. Then turn to Revelation, the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, and we see there he's known and referred to as the beast. And what a terrible beast it is, as we read there in Revelation chapter 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast I saw was like unto a leopard. We thought about leopard in Daniel, we not. His feet were the feet of a bear, his mouth was the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw in his head as it were wounds of death, and the deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. We go through that chapter perhaps later on. How he sees there, beast. What a terrible beast he is. But he's commonly known as the Antichrist. That one who sets himself up in the place of Christ and sets himself up as Christ. We've written Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah chapter 11 verses 15 to 17. They will read the verses. And the Lord said to me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I'll raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, Neither shall seek the young ones, nor heal that which is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat, and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right arm. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. And here we see the right that foolish shepherd, the idle shepherd. Oh, our Jesus, he is known as the good shepherd. Oh, he speaks now, I am the good shepherd, and how he cares for the sheep. But the foolish shepherd, oh, that one that seeks to set himself in the place of Jesus, that seeks to put himself in the place of Christ, he is described in there as a foolish shepherd. Zechariah says he leaves the sheep. He doesn't care for them at all. The passage we read there says, says three further descriptions of him. We read two Thessalonians. In two Thessalonians, we have those further descriptions of the Antichrist. We'll turn to it now in 2 Thessalonians. And we see there Paul writing to the Thessalonians 
he says there that man of sin, verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, you see that guy falling away first, and here he goes, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showed himself that he is God. How he is then? Antichrist, anti-God, puts himself above all that is called God, or worshipped, and that he as God, he sits in the temple of God, showing himself he is God. Remember not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And then come down to verse 8 and he says, And then shall that wicked, and as my dad said, that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. He is that man of sin. All the actions of sin are bound up in him. When we consider the Westminster Confession of Faith, sin is there described as there, as there is sin described as any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So one who wants to be in the place of God is nothing like God. He does not conform to what God truly is and he falls oh so far short of what God is. He said he's called the son of perdition. The son of perdition. The meaning of the word perdition is utter ruin, damnation, destruction, loss of the soul. There is no hope of salvation whatsoever. Always a son of perdition. There is no hope of salvation for him whatsoever. And then he's called that wicked. That wicked one. Oh, just devilish. And evil in every sense of the word. There are other names given for him in Scripture, which we won't go into and look at this time. As you look through, you will see in the prophets and the New Testament other words that refer to this man. This one that's coming at the end time. The man of sin, the son of perdition, the wicked one, the Antichrist. Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples in response to their question, tell us, when shall these things be in Matthew chapter 24? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? and the end of the world. If we turn to Matthew chapter 24, we'll see there what Jesus says about this man and about his coming. Matthew chapter 24, and the verse 21 down to the verse 30. But then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto thee, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. And so there is man rise up who will be in the place of Christ, and people will think, This is the Christ. If any say, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For Jesus said, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. And as you read through the scripture, Old the Antichrist shows great signs and wonders. Insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, what I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Oh, we know when Jesus comes. 
For it says there, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth out of the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. And then he goes on to say, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, for they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he shall send angels with great sound of the trumpet, and they shall go together from his neck from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And there we see, as Peter tells us, there will be a time of great tribulation. Oh, a time of tribulation. There shall be a period then, also, that false Christ, as we've already said, and false prophets shall arise. But immediately after this time, immediately after this time, shall be a period of the Son of Man in power and in great glory. So there will arise false Christ, antichrist. There will arise false prophets that will teach false deeds. In 1 John chapter 2, we turn to 1 John chapter 2. We see in verse 18, John says there, Little children, it is the last time, and ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might manifest that they were not with us. John says there that there will be an Antichrist. Antichrist shall come, he says. Antichrist shall come. But he also says there will be many Antichrists during the time of the Apostles to the end of the age. And he says again in chapter 4 and the verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already it is in the world. There is that spirit of Antichrist abroad in the world. You know it, I know it, we see it from day to day. That spirit of Antichrist is abroad in the world of those who do not confess, will not confess. That Jesus is coming to flesh. That spirit of us. It has been right from the day of John, right through to this current, current time. That devilish spirit of Antichrist that we read there in chapter 2, verse 18. Antichrist will come. No ifs, no buts, no possibly maybes. It's a definite. Antichrist shall come, he says. And so is seen all down the ages. There have been those who have had that Antichrist spirit with them. And they have even been called the Antichrist. Many men have said, this is the Antichrist. But there are definite attributes which tells us he has not yet appeared. One of the theories that has been abroad in Christian thinking and in Protestantism is that the Pope or a papacy is the Antichrist. Yet if we look at this in the light of Scripture and what Scripture says about him, we shall see but up till now, this has not been the case. Yes, definitely. The popes of Rome have that spirit of Antichrist about them. The papacy has that spirit of Antichrist about it that John speaks of. But it's not the real deal. It's not the real thing. 
Septimus Sneers in his little book, and there's one on the table over there, Things That Shall Be Hereafter, gives a good outline as to why the Pope of Rome, the papacy, is not the Antichrist. And he gives 11 reasons why their Pope or a papacy is not the Antichrist. The Ten Kingdoms of Rome, he says firstly, Earth, are ecclesiastically divided into two areas in the main, but there are splinter groups too amongst those two areas. And it can be seen in history that the Pope and the Papacy has never ruled or reigned over the total area of the western part of the Roman Empire. And has never even one day ruled the western part and the eastern parts together. This is something you read about in Daniel 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, and Revelation 13, that the Antichrist will do. He will have sway over the whole of the earth. Over that Roman Empire that Daniel speaks about. The Roman Empire. The Greek Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Babylonian Empire. He will have sway over the whole earth. Popes have never done that. The papacy has never done that. When we look at Revelation chapter 13, we see there that the beast, Septimus says, secondly, that signifies Antichrist, is a leopard. In Daniel chapter 7, the leopard is representative of the Greek Empire. The papacy has always been Latin, has always been Roman. It's not Greek in its source or its character. It has been subdued in the Eastern Greek side in the territory where Antichrist will reign and come from, will rise from and reign. Again, he says, doesn't point to the papacy or to the Pope. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, we read of the second beast that arises. And this is the prophet to the first beast. And he works miracles and great wonders in the earth. And causes the earth to worship the beast, worship Antichrist. This has never been evidence in any of the popes of Rome or the papacy, a prophet arising and doing great miracles. Fourthly, Mr. Sears says, the continued work of this beast, prophet, is to cause all to receive the mark of the beast in their right hands or in their foreheads. And only those who receive such a mark will be able to do trading, will be able to trade. There has never been an occasion where this has been, where a mark has been seen, or tra and trade has been there, exclusive to those who walk off the papacy, who follow the Pope of Rome. We also see, fifthly, it says, that the prophet causes an image of the beast to be made, which will be caused to speak, and those who do not worship the beast will be slain. Again, history does not record any such beast of the Pope being made to speak. It also says that all those who receive the mark of the beast will not have their names written in the book of life. There are known to be even among Roman Catholics those who show some devotion to papacy, but does not mean they will never come to a glorious knowledge of salvation and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some devout Roman Catholics who have been subject to a miracle of grace and have been converted, and we'll talk about some of those later. But also, there are those within this world who refuse to acknowledge the Pope's authority. But it doesn't mean they're in the land's book of life. It doesn't mean they're saved just because they don't owe allegiance to the Pope. Or there are millions in the darks of Islam who don't subdue to the Pope's authority. It doesn't mean they're in the land's book of life. It speaks in Daniel chapter, 20, chapter 7, verse 25, that the saint should be given into his hand for a time. And it gives the time, a time, times, and the dividing of time, three and a half years. The saints of God have never been into the hands of the Pope or the papal system for the entirety of his existence. Oh, there's been great tribulation. Oh, I must admit that. 
great tribulation from the Roman system towards saints, but not of the character that Daniel describes in Daniel chapter 7. If Antichrist, he says eighthly, is reigning over the whole earth, then many of the kingdoms are in the dark about this and in rebellion. For there are many kingdoms that are not given over to the papacy and given their power to the Pope of Rome. Like it says, kingdoms will give their power to the Antichrist. For Scripture tells us that they will agree to give their kingdoms their power to the beast. And ninthly, he says, the Antichrist will exalt himself above all that is called God. We read it in there in Thessalonians. So as God, he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. As abominable as true believers find the claims of the Pope of Rome, he merely claims to be Christ's vicar, Antichrist. He will sit in the temple of God. He will sit there in the temple of God in Jerusalem. Oh, it's a piece of Rome where the Pope has his seat. Is that the temple of God? I don't think so. All adherence to the Antichrist will be eternally lost. We read that in Revelation chapter 14. And we have touched on this subject briefly. But can we say that Luther? Luther was an avowed adherent to Rome. Is eternally lost? No, we believe that Luther and many other Roman Catholics who came in that, brought up that darkness, adhered to that darkness, became that glorious light of salvation, they are in the lands of life. They are not eternally lost. But all those who adhere to the Antichrist will be lost for all eternity. And lastly, he says, when we read in Daniel chapter 11 of this man, we see he must be an individual. He must be an individual. Paul said in the Thonians, the man of sin, not a man of sin, not a system of sin, it's a man of sin. He must be an individual, not a system, who will live for entirety of a short reign. No Pope has lived for 200 years of Romanism, plus his Romanism. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, we see his demise. We see his end. We see his cast alive into the lake of fire and tormented day and night. Can a system be treated in such a way? So Setmasius concludes his little book. Yes, as awful as a Pope is, as damnable as he is, as abominable as a papal system is, it cannot be the Antichrist described for us in the passages that speak about him. 1 John chapter 2 verse 18, the man of sin that we read about in Thessalonians, the little horn of Daniel chapter 7, nor the beast of Revelation chapter 13. He cannot be, up to this current time, that Antichrist, that man of sin. So we've considered that this unique man who is set against the Most High is not yet revealed in the earth. It stands to reason that there will come a time when he will be such an individual who will set himself up against God. And in the scriptures, there is some indication as to when this would be, when this time would be. Paul is writings, we read in 2002, gives some indication that in the last day, there will be times of great apostasy or great wickedness. Wickedness really will prevail. We're in a similar thing. We read in the bones about it. We'll turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 down to 15. You'll see there, Paul wrote to Timothy. He says there, This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, 
false accusers, incontinent, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. <laughs> and Paul says to Timothy, and he says to each one of us, from such, turn away. Oh, it can be true. All down the ages, men and women of God have looked about them and thought that they lived in the great days of great apostasy. The reformers thought they lived in the last days, days of great apostasy. And to some extent, they may well have done. But the scriptures plainly say that instead of things getting better, they will get increasingly worse. Worse and worse. Until the coming of the Saviour. Oh, and those days will be dark. Very dark indeed. The prevailing message in this world of ungodliness is that things get better. Oh, we have that theory of evolution. And how it says that things improve, things get better. And yet we see not, all oh, we're reading our papers, disaster after disaster, war after war. Things do not improve, but things get gradually worse. The whole ethos, as I've said, of anti-God belief is bound up in that theory of evolution. Things improve, things get better. But the truth is, they just don't. They just don't. And as the disciples asked that question, or referred to in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus answered, and he said in the terrible nature of this world, as time went on, wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. And how we see these things are ever on the increase, even in our day and generation. And so the very nature of this world is. It seems to be preparing itself. And indeed, in truth, it is for a man who epitomised evil, and that spirit of Antichrist, that man of sin, or the Antichrist himself, will arise. As he goes on in that chapter, so is that Jesus, in Matthew 24, gives a physical hint as to when this time will be. If you'll see there, Matthew chapter 24, he says in the verse 15 there, he talks there in verses um, 12, sorry, verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. And he says in verse 15 there, when ye therefore see the abomination of desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let them stand. And then he says, those in Judea fear the mountains. Those in the housetop, don't come down and take them out of the house. No man is in the field return to take his clothes. Oh, but whilst I'm in a child, he says, flee. And there should be great tribulation, verse 21. <coughs> Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. But it does say there, in verse 24, for there shall false Christ, signs and wonders, in so much as possible, they shall deceive the very elect. They won't be able to deceive the very elect. This clearly, this is what he says in verse 15, that setting up of the abomination of desolation in the holy place clearly hasn't happened as yet. And it's an event yet future. An event that Jesus tells us through his disciples that we should be looking for. We should be ready for. Looking for. For to read what Daniel says, and to understand what Daniel says under inspiration, we should be looking for it. Why would the holy place be such a place for the Antichrist to set up his image. That word abomination has me of an idol. Why would it, the Antichrist, set up his idol, 
his image in that place. If we turn to Ezekiel 43, So the Spirit took me up and brought me unto the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. We read there the glory of the Lord God, returned to the temple. And so we read there the glory of the Lord filling the house. This is Christ. This is Him returned in power and great glory to the temple. So where would the Antichrist seek to set his glory up, seek to set his image up? By that very self-same place, the temple of the Lord. Rebuilt by his own nation in the day to come. As we have said, he seeks to deceive people. Oh, how he seeks to deceive people. So he saves the season to set himself up as God, in the place of God. So that very deception means he will set himself up in the temple of the Lord, an ideal place to put his image. Jesus says, when you see this, know the time is nigh. We look at Daniel chapter 9. We see there, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, <coughs> Daniel is aware of the 70 years that Jeremiah spoke of has been accomplished. It says in verse 2, In the very first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Israel. Jeremiah prophesied there would be 70 years of captivity. The desolation of Jerusalem comes to fruition. And then we go to see Daniel's prayer of confession. And then we see at the end of the chapter, the angel Gabriel comes to him and starts to speak with Daniel and to give him skill and understanding. It says in verse 21, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision of the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he, that's Gabriel, informed me and talked to me and said, O oh Daniel, I am now come forth with his skill and understanding. He came to give him skill and understanding. And then the angel Gabriel gives an outline of the history of the world and gives this in terms of weeks. The Greek word here is hectares. It means a period of seven. And you'll see there it comes in three stages. There's a period of seven, another period of 62, and then a period of one. Making 70 all in all. So a period of 7 times 7, which equals 49. A period of 62 times 7, which equals 434. Making a combined total of 483. This first week, or heptad, was the 49 years of the building of Jerusalem at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. The second period, the 434, was from this period until the time of Messiah was cut off, until the time of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not die for himself, did not die for himself. You'll see there in verse 26, it says there, and after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. He died for his people. These two periods are joined together in the past <coughs> history. They included the time of when Messiah was cut off. 
didn't die for himself. <coughs> the final period is a period yet to come. It speaks of a future time. For it speaks of the prince of the people. You'll see there in verse 25, it speaks there. The prince shall be seven weeks. The feast on two weeks. This, I can't see what it says now. Prince of the people. See there in verse 25, you'll see there, Prince is a capital P. He's talking about Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 26, it's come the small P, the people of the Prince who destroy the city and the sanctuary to end their lives to be a flood. So we see there in verse 26, it's in the lower case. It's not speaking about the Prince, it's not speaking about Messiah, it's not speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's speaking about a king of this world. It's talking about someone else. So in the second half, verse 26, and then in the verse 27 of Daniel 9 there, it speaks to the time of the Antichrist. He speaks to the time yet future. That period of one period, seven, seven years, the prince of the people who shall come. This period of time commence with the son of man, son of man of sin arising. But not as his first imagine, for he comes peaceably and with deception and makes a league or a covenant with the nation of Israel, which shall be for that one week, that seven years. And then you'll see in verse 27 there, it says he'll break the covenant in the middle. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, after three and a half years, he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease. And the other spread the abominations, he shall make it desolate. There we see we've got again that abomination of desolation that Jesus spoke about. Even until the consummation. And that turn shall be poured upon the desolate. So we see there in the middle. He will break that covenant of Israel. Three and a half years. That time, 42 months, 1,260 days. This covenant will be for the Jews to return to Jerusalem. He will allow them to and support them in the course of their worship. But as you've seen, right in the middle, <coughs> he will break the treaty and make war with him. It's at this time he will set up in that place, the abomination that make it desolate, in the temple of the Lord. And this will remain until the destruction of him and the coming of the Lord. In Daniel chapter 8, turn back a chapter, in verses 13 and 14 there, we see there, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the day's sacrifice, and the transgression of desolation, to give both the sanctuary and the host of the foot? And he sends me until 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Time given in the setting of the sanctuary sacrifices to set it up for the transgression of desolation we see there. We see we turn another couple over another couple of chapters in Daniel. We see more reactivity recorded in Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 down to verse 45 there. And it says there, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself, and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvellous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that is determined, for that which is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honour, shall he honour the God of forces, and the God whom his fathers knew, not shall he honour with gold and silver, and with precious stones and precious things. Thus shall he do in the most stronghold of a strange God, 
whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause him to rule over many, and shall divide the land again. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. And the king of the north shall be against like a whirlwind. And we throw that chapter down there, and we say there, right at the end there, it says, But tidings of the east, that of north shall trouble him. And in verse 45, and shall plant the tabernacles of his place between the seas, in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. And how we see his end there, as popular as he may be, everyone worships him, falls before, before him, is deceived by him, except the elect. There will be none, none to help him come the time of the end. As we turn to the Revelation, we see some of the characteristics of those last 42 months, the time of the Gentiles. We see in Revelation chapter 11, about two witnesses, those two witnesses who rise up and will be there. In verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy, prophesy a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, and the two candlesticks, standing before the Lord God, God of the earth. And if anyone will hurt them, fire pursue their mouth, and devour their enemies. And if anyone will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. They have power to shut heaven. It doth not rain days their prophecy. And you'll see that it goes down. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that sent it out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, these two witnesses, and shall overcome them, and kill them. And their body, dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And it talks about there that dead bodies will lie three and a half days, and suffer their bodies within the grave. And they shall dwell, and come to verse 11, and after three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them. They stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them and saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they set it up to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies behold them. And then we talk, and we've read there about that trump. The second voice passed, and behold, the third woe come quickly. Verse 15, the seventh angel sounded, and there a great voice in heaven. And the third chapter verse there, the king of this world will become the king of our Lord, and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. These two witnesses, which we have in Revelation 11, who are they? Is not entirely known, but one would safely say that Elijah is one of them. If you turn to Malachi chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4 and the verse 5, there it says, There, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children of their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. Who reason to believe that one of them may well be Elijah? The other witness is like to be Moses, for he it was who was seen on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ, with Elijah there, when we relate in the Gospels. And these two witnesses were prophesied for the 1,260 days before the beast shall overcome them and destroy them. And their bodies will lie on the street in the city of Jerusalem for three and a half days before the Spirit of life from God will enter them. And they shall be called up into heaven. It is after this. The last trump sounds, and the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord's. He will return in power and in great glory, and he will then do away with the man of sin. If we turn over a couple of chapters in Revelation, we see in the demise of this man of sin. Revelation chapter 19 
and verses 19 and 20. And I saw the beast, John says, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. How that beast, the Antichrist, and all the armies of the earth will gather together at a place where I'm getting, gather together and make war against him that sat on the horse, to make war against the lamb and against his army. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and then that worshipped his image. These both were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The demise, he will be destroyed by the power of Christ and cast into the lake of fire. Oh, there is much more to be said in this matter. But I hope it's in your desire, that desire to look into these things and be as the Saviour said in Matthew 24. For Saviour, when he spoke to his disciples, or oh, he gave them a lot of instruction, they have a lot to listen to, a lot to think of. And in Revelation 24, verse 42, he said to them, Watch therefore. For you know what hour your Lord hath come. But know this, if the good man of the house had known what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house would have broken up. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, when his Lord hath made room his household to give him meat in his due season? Blessed is that servant, when his Lord when he cometh shall so find doing. Find so doing. Be watchful. Be those who are watching. Those who are waiting. Those who are praying. Those who are sober in their minds. Those who are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we read that chapter in 2 Thessalonians. I'll point us just finally as we come now that passage in 2 Thessalonians. Then we read that last few verses. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which have loved us and have given us an everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. How we see there, God says to each of His children, Yes. There will be much wickedness. Yes, there will be much tribulation. But he says there, stand. Stand fast and come for your hearts. Stand fast, Paul says. What do you say, stand fast? Stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught. What are those Thessalonians being taught? If we turn back to Acts 17, we see there what they have been taught by Paul. You'll see there in Acts 17, verse 2, and Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, those in the Thessalonica, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And what did he teach them? He said there, opening and alleging, that Christ must needs have suffered, and risen again from the dead, and this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is the Christ. Paul taught them about Jesus, and how he lived, how he died, how he rose again, how he came as a saviour, to save his people from their sins. That's in word. Also he taught them too. We see there, remember not, he says in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 5, remember ye not, that when I was with you, I told you these things. He told them about the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that is his first coming. About his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation back into, back into glory. He told them too 
about his second coming. He told them about the tribulation. He told them about the man of sin. He told them about the son of addition. He told them about that wicked one. Hold fast, he says. Stand fast in these things. Don't be deceived. Jesus said, there will be much deception going on. That even the elect might even deceive the elect, but it won't deceive the elect. Oh, stand fast, Paul says. And he says, comfort your hearts. Comfort your hearts. In other words, he's saying, fear not. Fear not. Yes, great tribulation. Oh yes, much happy, fearful of, but Paul says, comfort your hearts. Fear not. Oh, the prophet Isaiah, he said, many fear not. I'll turn you to one. Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. And verse 10 there says, Fear not, for I am with thee. All oh, the blessing I this. Fear thou not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Oh yes, tribulation, all these trials, a man of sin, some addition, rising up, so much going on. Be not dismayed, for I am like a horse. Why should we, think, why should we be dismayed? I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Or to go forth, we stay forth. And yes, we've read some horrible, dark things perhaps. Fear not. And God is with us. He's promised never to forsake us, never to forget us. He will strengthen us, keep us, all the way through by the right hand of his righteousness. And what did the Saviour say while he was here? Luke chapter 12 and the verse 32. Luke chapter 12 and the verse 32. He says there, Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, it's about many kingdoms. Babylonia, Medo-Persia, Grecian, Roman, the king of Antichrist. All those who were destroyed by that stone that Daniel spoke about, that came out, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, a kingdom that will go on forever and forever and cover the whole world. And the Saviour says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yes, Antichrist will arise. Yes, he will come. Yes, There'll be great tribulation, such as the world has never seen before. But at his demise, our Saviour comes again. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, he will be destroyed by the light of his coming. And then he will give us the kingdom. Amen.